company that he's uh, growing. We're going to talk about group fitness in general, his thoughts on the expectations versus the reality of group tra- group training and uh, how he's trying to make it better. We look at his work-life imbalance, uh, his enjoyment of mockery of a lot of things fitness, taking the piss out of it and uh, having fun with himself, and his thoughts on wearable tech and some other trends in 2019. Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Like uh, many of our guests, you start to realize, uh, I met Clifton Harsky on my fitness conference travels uh, across North America the last couple of years. So we met uh, briefly at uh, the Vigor Ground Fitness and Business Summit back in 2017 uh, via our mutual friend, Mark Fisher, who's been on the podcast before. So Clifton is a bunch of stuff. He's a fitness director, COO, and co-owner of FitWall, and we'll get you to tell us a little, little bit more about that. And teaches in a, uh, numerous certifications and a whole bunch more. So welcome onto the show. Thank you guys for having me. Cool. Right, you, so. you, you teach a lot of stuff. I, I do teach a lot of stuff. It's true. I, I joke that I'm like a uh, certification and workshop instructor on the waiver wire. And I just get, keep getting picked up by different teams. You're like the best free agent ever. Like you, you're, you're good enough to make the roster, but like we don't want to keep you long term. But like we need you this year. We need you this year, and then we'll, we'll give you away. Yeah, we had a, we had an instructor drop out of the search. Can you come teach it? Yeah. I'm there. Not sure how you find time to do that, running everything else. So uh, let's start there with Fitball. Um, what it is to those who are unfamiliar uh, in your role, and then let's take the discussion into group fitness in our industry as a whole. In particular, what are your thoughts on the expectations of such classes and the reality given the resources available? Gotcha. All right. So Fitwall, Fitwall is a, uh, a small group training boutique fitness studio. Uh, boutique fitness studios are sort of all the rage. You have the, uh, the dirtier, grimier version that people will call the box, whether it be CrossFit or strength conditioning box. Uh, that term is the same thing to me as a boutique yoga studio. It's just a more personalized, community-based, smaller group fitness class. So FitWall is that. Um, Our big differentiators are, we have this unique piece of equipment called the FitWall, which is really like a modernized version of stall bars from gymnastics. So you you can hang on it, you can climb on it, you can attach things to it. I think of it more like a, the the principal piece of our station that serves as like the Swiss army knife of fitness tools. So it's just, it just gives my people better options and more options to do things. Um, So our classes there, you know, you you can cut fitness up however the hell you want to. And ours is a 40 minute full body workout that is instructor led, but we built a, a second instructor in our technology uh, that we built from the ground up. And what that is, is we have videos playing of what you're supposed to be doing throughout the workout versus other groups that allows our instructor to not have to model the entire time. And instead they can walk around and help people out. And I think that's a pretty important thing. It's, it, you know, visual input to our clients and any client anywhere is, is really important, especially in a group setting. Um, 
So if we can have the videos going, now I can get my instructors doing both things that are important. Um, the, other, the other thing that we do in our class is we have everybody doing the same or similar things at the same time. So that way, if you're coaching, you can be like, oh, person in the back, Bill, you suck the most. I'm going to help you out first. Um, and when I say same or similar, it makes it easier to make appropriate adjustments to people. And this, to me, is in contrast to other places where you've got you know, groups of whatever the groups are, but you got five to ten exercises happening at once. And I don't really care how good of an instructor you are. It's very hard to, to instruct five exercises at the same time. So we basically built our, our whole model on the premise that we can do better in group fitness. Um, so 40 minutes, every day is full body. We run seven different workouts in a week. We split our week up, strength at the beginning of the week, intervals in the middle of the week, cardio at the end of the week, mobility and recovery on Sunday. And we run those seven workouts for a three-week block, repeating the same workout three times in a row so that people can get better each week to week. And then once they feel like they're getting confident they, we go to a whole new block. Where are you guys currently located? Because I know that you've got numerous locations and growing. We have seven open locations. So San Diego, we have two in Orange County, one in Calabasas, one in Scottsdale, Arizona, one all the way out in Michigan, mm -hmm. one that's open in Denver, and another one that is opening soon in Denver. Cool. So you are pretty spread out. And this is, we're seeing a lot of this stuff, I guess. Um, what is, it, is that one? <clears throat> I believe it's called F45, which is kind of a big popular one. If I'm not mistaken, did that one come out of Australia? It did come out of Australia and <laughs> they have, they have more franchise locations across the globe than Orange Theory does. And Orange Theory is a big they're, one. They're coming into everything. <clears throat> the guys, uh, so the guys who own the Canadian rights, they're, they're friends of mine here in Edmonton, Alberta. So and they, uh, they own the original franchise, the chain that, uh, the commercial gym chain that I worked for, but they've, they've sold that. So they've been concentrating entirely on Orange Theory, and that thing's flourishing up here. We're seeing Nine Rounds, which is a more, I guess, martial arts-style boutique studio. So these things are, are growing. There's a lot of them happening. I like the way you approached it. It kind of kind of dives into how people learn. Because if you have the video playing over and over again, like, I hate seeing things, something once. <laughs> like, is that all you do? Is it just plays on repeat so that they can kind of see? Yeah, we... We film, uh, usually it's me because my form is perfect and, uh, it just takes like three or four repetitions and then we, we loop it. Yeah. So that way it just goes. And, and the way that I create the workouts, everything we do is time-based and that allows, let's say Andrew wants to go ham and goes fast. Cool. He gets 30 reps and then I'm nursing a knee injury. So I'm going to go in slow motion. It allows every individual in the class to move at the pace that's correct for themselves. Um, and and the, the looping video, to your point, it lets them check in uh, repetitively. See, I think one of the things that we were going to get to with this this uh, this particular question was how, you know, you walk into a commercial gym and you see a group fitness class being taught and you get a bunch of people who are doing quarter squatting at high reps. And <clears throat> generally speaking, kind of the form is not that good. So, I mean, that's the expectation is that everything's going to be perfect and you go into these classes. But the reality is you've got one instructor with a whole bunch of people and you are very limited in how much you can coach. So I wanted to see what you had to think about that. And what is a realistic expectation for, for a class? What's a minimum standard? And uh, anything to that effect? So... You know, I look at I look at this 
the coaching uh, setup in group fitness classes less about a coach quality perspective and more about business decisions. So most places they've made the business decision that I can put more people in a room if I run them through a circuit. That's F45's model. And I'm not knocking them for the, the selection of the business model. Um, and I'm certainly not knocking their coaches because the coaches aren't set up for success in high quality coaching. They're saying, hey, how do I put 30 people in here? Well, if I have 10 stations of 10 exercises and three people per station, that is less costly to build out. And it's easier to put more people in a small space by doing that than what, than what we're doing. And so they've made a business decision. Now, to that, to that point, um, now it's just a, for us, we were like, hey, we're going we're gonna to put our uh, eggs in the basket of high quality and retention. So I think those places will have a higher client turnover. Mm-hmm. They're going to see people more injuries. Mm-hmm. They're, while they're, they're saying that it's different every single day, that shit is the same every day. It's just going through the circuit in a different order. But you're doing the same damn exercises, and there's nothing wrong with doing the same exercise. Like you got to do that for skill acquisition. But they're it's celebrated like, hey, every day is going to be different. You'll never do the same workout in the whole year. And then you go in, you're like, wait a second, I ran on the treadmill every goddamn day this year, uh, and I I hit the rower and I hit the dumbbell and the TRX. Like those are the only tools you got. And because of the model, they can't teach anything to. Uh, to your point about the quarter squats, they can't get into teaching it well because they don't spend the time. They don't have the ability to teach it well. So um, I think that from a business model standpoint, I understand the decision to shove as many people into the busy class times in a day. But from a high quality standpoint, it's going to fall short. So a place like us, a place like Results Fitness, a place like Mark Fisher Fitness, and and a place like a lot of small business owners that have their own spot, that have smaller classes that do spend the time to teach, will have a, a much longer retention rate. Orange Theory retention, F45 retention, uh, these places that have a lot of multiple locations, I think that the industry average for those is like a four-month client lifespan. And we're, we're coming up close to two years per client our number one reason that people leave us is that they moved (laughs) and i'm like all right well i can't be upset about that and so while we are we're charging you know a little bit more we just have a a longer relationship with our clients it's it feels more like personal training and that's really what we're going for that was the one thing i was going to say like it sounds like personal training in the sense because the way you have it structured you can almost inadvertently track volume and how many muscle groups and all that stuff because it's not just different workout every day like there's a little bit more thought into it and then you can keep them long term because they're actually getting the gains and they're getting the same kind of coaching and it's i don't know i like well, it you, you mentioned mark fisher fitness and again i can't talk something's in my throat <clears throat> excuse me i think mark is one of the people who and his business is doing it really really well he's got very elaborate programs different tiers of programs it's progressive and i think that's one of the hallmarks of a group fitness system, if you can build in progression to the mm-hmm. point where people advance through it versus not always being the same thing, you're going to do it well. So I was going to ask you, of course, who did you feel were doing it really well? Certainly Mark Fisher Fitness was on the top of my list. If we were at Vigor Ground and saw how their setup was, I felt like Luca Hosevar's setup is fantastic. Um, what are some other really good examples? So 
it's hard to really comment about the best examples because most of them are individual gyms yeah. that have one, two, maybe three locations in a in a small market. Uh, Performance 360 here in the San Diego market does a fantastic job. Um, there's there's a number of uh, man strength box up in Toronto does a really good job that I'm aware of where the the whole principle is that they they just have a goddamn plan yeah. that's more than <laughs> we're just going to do different shit and that's not unique to group fitness i mean how many personal trainers as well like come on in like what do we feel like doing today like what what kind of shit is that like that's not a plan what do we feel like doing today at least have a plan you can move away from the plan but that would be um, the as far as to me i don't really care what you do as long as you have a plan and a reason for doing it because we can we can see hundreds of examples of slightly different plans that all produce results and the major thing is having a having a damn plan um the thing i would steer away from is there i I think the number for me in my head once you get over 20 people in a class you can't adequately coach those people once you have people going at doing more than two things at once, you cannot adequately keep your eyes on that group of people. So if I'm a consumer and I'm looking for something that's going to be of high quality, those are my two major markers. Is there more than 20 people? And is, is does it just look like chaos in the class? That's good. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, I, sometimes it's hard with more than two. <laughs> So I mean, like yeah. even pushing up to twenty, like that's I, I get why that works, but I don't think you're right. As the numbers go up, the it, coaching quality has to go down unless you're superhuman. Like it's just, yeah. But then I guess that's the benefit for the end user is that they kind of sign into knowing that they're not having a personal trainer, but it costs less. And I think that the expectation needs to be that from someone coming in. Like it's not the same as personal training, but you're trying to make a model where it's as fucking close as possible, which is, I guess, what should be happening. So something else that's worth mentioning too is like I run one group class during the week. Most of my stuff is is one-on-one or like very, very small group training. And if uh, with my group class, which I, thankfully it's been pretty popular, but it doesn't really get above 10 people at a time, nor do I want to or have a space for that. But a lot of it's sled pushing, dragging, sledgehammer swinging on tires, flipping tires, rowers, air bikes, and I'll rotate through stations in teams. So I will have actually more than two things going on at the same time. But what you're dealing with is a bunch of stuff that's fairly low technique that people can keep doing without any real risk. So if you can, they're all in my field of vision. So if you have a bunch of stuff that like, if someone hurts themselves putting pushing a sled, they, they, they've reached a level of creativity that I haven't encountered yet. So uh, if you pick stuff like that and I won't go near barbells in my group class sessions, right? So you got technical stuff, like people trying to do group teaching of like hang cleans and highly technical stuff. Like, holy shit. Um, no. Man, you just talked about CrossFit. <clears throat> Whoops. Asshole. <laughs> do you, you guys both touched on a couple of things there that, that I'm with 100% in agreement with. So Andrew, you, you mentioned the, the low skill, but high output or easy output, yeah. um, having people do that without supervision makes total sense. But my, my dream uh, fitness class or fitness option would include Versa Climbers, yeah. Air Assault Bikes, Ski Erg, yeah. Rower once they've actually been shown how to not have like terrible posture on, yeah. on the rower, um, and Sleds, any and you know, Rope Slams, if you, they, whatever, I don't think they're going to hurt anybody. Um, they're you can argue against them, I suppose, but <laughs> people it's going like to make people sweat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, 
so like to your point yeah absolutely if you pick the right exercises then you're all good to go and then uh the other thing that 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 dean was saying is as long as we understand that group classes no matter the size we have to come to terms with the fact that we will make concessions Mm -hmm. in perfect the more people that we have and all we can ask is what concessions are we willing to make in our business model and if i'm teaching a um a Bulgarian split squat. I would love to be able to teach it in a way that uh, is more of like, hey, let's get the adductors and let's get a little bit of rotation in the shoulders with my ribs down towards my pelvis and moving the different planes without actually moving my feet. That's phenomenal. But trying to teach that in 30 seconds to a group class probably ain't going to work. But this is where I think the real magic is. And it's why Mark is so successful. It's why Alley Fitness is so successful. It's why Results Fitness kicks ass it's why uh amp fitness in boston is the hybrid model where my goal is half of my clients see us for a small semi-private training so up to four people once or twice a week and then do our group classes nice and and a big piece of that is it's the the mentality that people approach those two things are totally different when people come into a group class they have the mentality of i need to get a good workout when they come into your private training one-on-one or up to you know semi-private, they come in with, I want to learn my form and learn. It's a, more of an education-based approach. And we try to change that shit in our, in, our, in our style here. But every person, every new person that comes in, it's like, what is your goal? They're like, to get a good sweat. Well, shit, man. Like, that doesn't do anything for you, really. Not in, the, not in over time. But I, I'm not going to fight consumer mentality i'm gonna get them in Uh, i like to think of what we're doing and and what everybody should be doing in my opinion is giving fitness gummy vitamins i want to i want people to uh like think it's delicious like flintstone vitamins and but be sneaking in all the shit they're like oh my god this is really good i'm like yeah in my head, I'm thinking I got this nice anti-rotation. Yeah. I've got him in a good, like, neutral pelvis position, and all their things. My ass burns, and I feel much more. You're like, you don't even know how good this is, motherfucker. <laughs> it's so it's, good. <laughs> my favorite, my favorite is when I get like a, a physical. We have on average six or seven physical therapists and chiropractors per studio that come as members, nice. simply because they're like, dude, this is what I would be prescribing to most people. I'm like, well, yeah, because most people are fucking broken. Like, this is. This is what people need. Uh, so anyway, speaking of things that people need, yeah, I was gonna say like, and I like our talk here, but like, I want to <laughs> talk about you, you know. And yeah. we kind of touched on the fact that you teach five certifications. Um, how the hell do you keep up with all that, especially being involved with everything else? And kind of to give our listeners and fit pros some things to, to think about. What are your thoughts on avenues for fitness professionals to earn added income? outside of just training clients? So I think that anything you can do for added income that comes on the regular and that is dependable is probably a good idea. So uh, I'll rewind. Before I found myself in the position that I'm in, I maintained three shifts a week at Trader Joe's. (laughs) I worked at Trader Joe's for 11 years. I managed for six before I fully transitioned into fitness and those three days a week allowed me to i, I was pro stress 
I knew no matter what happened, people were going to buy some groceries. I got discounts on my own groceries and it paid for my insurance. So if I think that the part of the reason that the longevity of employment in the fitness industry is so damn low, so damn short, is that it's, it's very stressful to not know if you're getting paid. And that stress alone is going to get people to exit. And then in reality, most people can be unsuccessful at selling themselves in a way that they make enough money. So even if they're making enough money, it's still goddamn stressful. I'm not sure what book it was that I read, but it details a lot of fairly fairly famous and successful entrepreneurs. The, the myth is that people just go all in completely on it, where in fact, a lot of people maintain their regular jobs long after they needed to, to make sure that they're, they're successful. I think that very much works <clears throat> with entrepreneurship and building businesses. One of the things I've always felt was a little dangerous and caused a lot of personal trainers not to be successful in the industry is they've still kept one foot into the bar industry or the restaurant industry and they're, they're doing that. And then they, so where's the fine line between committing to be successful versus it, it, and not keeping one foot in the old way that limits you? That's an excellent question. I think that the answer is when you are like mostly confident that you are in a position to be successful with that full transition, then you should go for it. Because if, if you're half-assing it and you're not all in, then, then you're not going – I don't think you can be successful either. So it's a, it's a fine line, and you, there's going to be definitely be people that swing and miss. And that's okay because at least you took your swing or whatever cliche you want to say. But – you know, there, there's there's people that swing way too goddamn early, <laughs> and it's like you might want might want to have a little bit of like backup plan until you have established yourself a little bit. Um, I see that happen the most with online training, mm. and you know, people they go all in, they build a website, they buy, they hire a coach, they pay for marketing, and they got no goddamn idea about what they're going to do. They got, and then they spend all this money. And they are not successful with it. So they have to, they have to back, back out. And, you know, um, I feel bad when that happens because in the industry right now, like that's the number one thing that is pushed as this is how you make more money. And, and I don't, I don't doubt, I know, I know a number of people that are highly successful in that model, but I don't think it's like this gimme of dollars that it's made out to be. Um, so uh, other avid, other, avenues of income i would say find something that is at least enjoyable and easy and stress-free and if you can add that in even once or twice a week like taking the edge off of like am i going to be able to pay for groceries this month is going to make you better at the thing that you want to get done and then when you are ready to push your chips all in don't hesitate push the chips all in make the bet on yourself and and go for it that's what i did with teaching like when I transitioned in the industry, I, I, I went down to a subcontract and I just sub taught till I could make enough money training. Cause I was like, if I go all in, like I got two mortgages to pay and it just wasn't realistic. And, and like I said, like you were saying, a lot of people take their shot too early or take their swing too early and like life happens. And then you almost end up doing things that you wouldn't have done had you had that security like sleazy sales or trying to jump online really early, trying to get all these things because you're like worried about money the second stress of money becomes an issue, you can't kind of progress, I'm not going to say the right way, but a slower way where you actually get better without trying to 
do the quick fix. Because once money's on the line, it's like, holy fuck, you'll do a lot of things for money. People... <laughs> I'm starting to think. You know what I, I mean? <clears throat> I'm starting to think that I'm the anomaly in this. Where I, when I started, I was all in, working for a commercial gym, and you know, you're told, hey, you know, get up this level of busy and you make this money and whatever. And I did. So I basically did what they said. And then looking back, I realized that no one does this very well, or it's rare. So I somehow managed to get and sustain a level of busy with personal training that provided a good income. When <clears throat> I think that a lot of people really struggle to get to that level and consistently do it. So. I just, just, okay, this is how everybody does it. Therefore, I'm going to do it. And I didn't have any limiting beliefs about it. You both talked about money. Like the security allowed you to be better (laughs) at the thing you wanted to be good at. Because if if you, if you, let's just say you start off slowly and like you couldn't pay for your bills, you would be either doing something else, working at a strip club. I don't know. You would have figured out a way and it would have ruined it probably. Mm. I don't know. You know what I mean, Clifton? I, I agree. I just think that Andrew's biceps are so big that he was bound to be popular. Well, he's big. Like, that does help. Like, let's be... It's easier to take a shot at something, like a, a big swing. If you, like, look... If you look visibly like that and you, like, you played baseball and shit, like, I'll take a big swing. Like, fuck it. I played baseball. But if you didn't play baseball, you have no muscles, like... Work into it. There's something strange. I mean, if I went down to the <clears throat> the Arnold Classic or whatever, it wouldn't be particularly big compared to some of the guys walking around there. But if I'm going to these fitness conferences and I'm the biggest guy at them, it's like, what's going on here? Right? So, I mean, one, one time I look over and here's Stan Efforting sitting back there at one of these, our type of fitness conferences. Like, what the fuck is Stan doing here? Well, he's bigger than me, so... So he was, he was cool. But take, okay, so let's, let's pivot over to this one because this is something I enjoy and um, Clifton definitely does. So you enjoy taking the piss out of the industry by highlighting the funny shit, the problem shit that, uh, the behavior in the industry. And uh, <clears throat> let's see, quote, I especially like it when people get really sensitive about the muckery of their chosen thing. I'm sure CrossFit gets a bit of that. Uh, personally, I get a variation of this whenever I poke at people. Quote, I'd rather focus on the positives. And it's usually by people who have nothing positive contribute. This happened recently in a thread where a guy kind of took the high road. And I remember in person when he was really drunk, having to separate him from creeping the living fucking hell out of two women that I knew. And it's just hypocritical bullshit. Uh, and then another guy chimed in and took a few pot shots. And it's like, this is someone who posts something once in a blue moon gets three likes, no comments, and these people are just not contributing. They're just uncomfortable because I am unearthing the bad behavior that stands a little close to these guys, or in one particular case, he's very much guilty of. So, let's see. Would you explain why you enjoy such mockery <clears throat> and how to do it professionally? How to talk shit professionally? Yeah. That's, that's the question. How to talk shit professionally. <laughs> so, I think that there's a, a couple of things I'll unpack there. One, like, if you can't make fun of yourself and the things that are happening, like, you're an asshole. And you know, <laughs> our physical stuff, I, we have things where we are working out on the, on the fit wall that looks like you are humping the wall. And I will <laughs> literally make fun of this because it looks like you're humping a wall, man. Like, it needs to be mocked. And that's that's my business. Um, so if we can't make fun of of people for you know the term snatch the team you know people get straight face like that's not something to make fun of man that's an exercise like whoa whoa buddy calm the fuck down um we got to understand that as a profession while this is our profession it's our means to 
paying for shit we need. So therefore, it carries a level of importance to us that is very different than our clients or most anybody else on goddamn earth. And so, you know, if we can't make fun, that's why that's why I love about Mark so much is they just make it so safe for people to come in because, hey, serious fitness, sure, but ridiculous humans. And it, it, I think it humanizes this scary endeavor to people. That's how we try to go about it in our in our culture here is let's not take ourselves too goddamn serious. Let's make fun of the fact that, hey, you fell over instead of being like, you know, scaring the shit out of people. That That's really what it comes down to for me is my general out, output on, which is limited on social media, is like sharing baby pictures and making fun of people, usually my wife. Um, and it's it's because I have so many of our clients. Like we got 2,000 clients across our studios that are running our programs that have a relationship with us as we're on the TV all the time. And so all we're trying to be is relate, as relatable as possible. And so making fun of other fitness people, it's fun to poke the bear. Uh, I think it brings levity to the situation. And it's just really fun to watch people get spun out about their thing. Now, as far as how to do it professionally is part of the reason I can teach that I teach currently uh, three different certifications. Historically, it's been you know five different companies that I teach for. And that's not talking about my own things is you don't want you know, the best networking tool you have is not being an asshole mm -hmm. outright to, and burning bridges to people. And that's, you know, that's what I've managed to do and, and just try to be a fun person. Um, so I think that's really the way to go. If you're just calling people out and saying like, this sucks, this is wrong. That's the wrong thing to do. And I, I don't think there's a whole, in my opinion, I don't mm -hmm. think that, we're making a lot of progress with any client or anything like that by saying that is that is bad unless you provide the alternative afterwards or, hey, I can see the merit here. I'll, I'll use an example. I think it's bad to have more than 20 people in group classes if it's just a bunch of random shit. However, I see why it's done. I understand it can be done better in some ways. Here's how you might do that. And so I'm, I'm pointing it out, but I'm also giving reasons why maybe it's not the end of the goddamn world. I see just so, don't be an asshole. I think where I... Yeah, just don't be... Where don't I be some, a complete asshole. Yeah, don't be a complete asshole. Where I sometimes creep into asshole territories when we're talking about not the differences in ideological training and nutrition modalities, but when it comes to genuinely immoral shit like sexual harassment in the industry, which unfortunately I've witnessed far too much of or I'm aware of it, or worse... Or, oh God, uh, <clears throat> the other one that's kind of gets really bad is uh, multi-level marketing recruitment, especially if it's really aggressive, depends on the company involved. So I've got, aggressive. I've got a bit of reputations going after that stuff. And that ultimately has burned some bridges, but that's some stuff that's been ongoing for a long time. I'm comfortable with that. I think most people <clears throat> are conflict averse. They don't want to go anywhere near it. And I think there are some things that you can stand for. Um, and people will know what you stand for and I'm comfortable with that, but I'm also very cautionary for people taking on political or ideological discussions as fitness professionals and being very, very loud and vocal about that or making that your brand. <clears throat> I think that can alienate a lot of people. It's one thing to say, yes, going and sleeping with a lot of your clients is bad. I'm not going to get any blowback for 
calling that behavior out because I've seen that shit. But if you come out and you make a post about, oh, um, you think that um, illegal immigrants shouldn't be allowed in at a wall or that kind of crap, we're not going near that shit. But as an example, you're going to piss off a lot of people who might come and buy from you completely unnecessarily, whatever your belief system is. You know, at Cressy Sports Performance have this policy that they don't even go near politics. They don't touch it. And I don't even know which way they lean. I suspect it, it's probably a bit more, you know, kind of the, the moral good stuff. But what are they going to do? Go and put on blast the belief systems of a lot of Midwestern parents who are concerned with jobs and not get the business of all these young prospects that ultimately they want to help? Don't let your ideological narrative take over actually helping people and offending people unnecessarily. You saw make fun of it the right way. Was that, like, planned to talk about the wall? And then he has the fit wall <coughs> as the... <laughs> yeah. So, let's, let's go there. Like, But, like, see, that's like that's what you would make fun of. Like, oh, it's kind of shitty to make fun of that. But, like, his business is the what, fit wall. He put the wall up. What's, what's the deal with a wall? Like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> the, wait, the actual... The Trump wall? Man? The fit uh, wall. No, I, I'm it. unclear. The fit wall itself? The fit wall. What's the deal with having a fit know, wall? Does he not let immigrants work out of the fit wall? You asshole. <laughs> We bring them all in. We bring them all in. Uh, we we institute a Bernie Sanders policy. It's free for everybody. It's uh, it's good to go. I guess I mean if you're teaching people how to climb walls, then they, theoretically it's, it goes the other way. So, but that still goes down to like not being an asshole. Like I think that generally people know when they're being a little fuck on the internet. Like you you when you write something like that, like you you have to know. Like your intention is to get a reaction. Well, in like a negative format. Do you, know who, do you know who Mark Shields is? I don't think we've ever mentioned him on the podcast before. Yeah, he's not a guest. Mark Mark is just this... I, I very much enjoy Mark. And, and Mark is very, very hardcore left-leaning, curmudgeon-like and argumentative and funny. But he's actually a great guy. Uh, or at least I think so. <laughs> he's probably got a few people blocked and vice versa. But yeah, so he's always going off about this sort of stuff. But of course, he has made his brand and his image about more his ideological leanings than anything else. But um, anyway, we try to stay <clears throat> away from politics. You brought it up. Yeah, no, it's totally my fault. So, so <clears throat> it's here. I'll, I'll add this one little piece, just yeah. because of the fact that at this point, I think I've taught three hundred <clears throat> workshops and certifications, and the every single workshop minimum, I'll be asked by one attendee, "Hey, how do I get where you are?" Mm. And my general answer is, "Don't be an asshole." Yeah, like you need to, you need to seek out. Uh, active opportunities, if that's something that you're actually interested in, is put yourself in position to create relationships yeah. and don't don't screw up potential future relationships you don't know you have the potential to have by being a dickhead <laughs> online. Because this is a preposterously small industry at at the top. Uh, at the top sounds kind of like a, like a dickhead thing to say. But I mean like Within the teaching circuit, it is a fairly small industry, especially if you happen to be on the. Um, I'm going. I'm going to loop you guys in bigger. I'm going to loop mm -hmm. in like even per, like, perform better mm -hmm. as the SMC smarter circuit, which mm -hmm. is rude to say because I'm not downplaying the idea circuit. But a comical thing is all these people in the in the perform better circuit. Uh, will talk down about idea or ursa because they, they they think it's big sellout commercial stuff and it it may be but who is affecting more total lives like even if mm -hmm. hey if i if i affect 1 million people 
at 85% of the goodness of, of you and you affect 30 people at 99%, I'm going to say that I made a bigger difference. And that comes that again, that's that concessions thing. Uh, you have to, everyone's going to have to pick their own level of concessions, what it is that we're willing to do, how many people that we are able to reach out to and help. But uh, if you want, if you want to raise in the industry, being at teaching, being at get to be a general manager, being at get to have your own place, probably the best idea is to not be a dickhead and piss people off. Now, I, I 100% agree, agree with what Andrew said. Like, you have to stand for something. You have to take certain stances, but you can do so in a way that's like, hey, this is principle driven, not just hey, this is how I feel and I'm not going to change my opinion. Um, so it, it, it's an interesting one, uh, the, the, the way that we can share our ideas now. <laughs> you could be a little bit secretive in the past. Now, not so much. But I, and I think a lot of that comes down to even what you're talking at the beginning with fitness classes is like you need to have a plan even as a professional on like how you're going to use this shit like social media and like even arguing online and stuff like if you have intention behind it and you know what you stand for and what the purpose is then like all, like I'm all for it but I think a lot of people roll into that idea of like they don't they don't mix well and they kind of the personal thing becomes the fitness thing and then they just end up doing whatever and without intention you and you 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 could have a risk at affecting your career and I think that People need to understand where their net positive is with using this stuff. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. It's a like I'll look at. Uh, I'll use my my Instagram as as an example. I mostly have baby pictures because my kid's probably the coolest kid that's ever happened. And then um, I make fun of things, and occasionally I do little fitness stuff. And the little fitness stuff is because all my coaches that work for me follow me, and. Oftentimes, it's things that we're going to be doing internally. I don't sell anything online. I don't have any online training. I'm not actually interested in gaining a following. Um, and that's me. So what I see, though, is people that do want to grow their online presence. They do want to have some sort of business, and they do the same shit as I am. And I'm like, I don't know as though that's necessarily a good way to grow your personal fitness brand or, or not. I, I really don't know the answer there. Um, but I will see them start to push certain people away by what they do. And it's like, Hey man, have a goddamn plan. <laughs> have a, have plan. a plan. And don't be an asshole. See, we already got two nuggets. That, that ties into the thing we we're going to talk about next was yeah, uh, and, your family. Yeah. And you mentioned your family. And I think when you're talking with Andrew, when we're setting this whole thing up, you mentioned like your long commute and I guess that's a sacrifice to be able to pursue your career. And we've been talking about supporting ourselves, but our families as well. And how do you balance that dual role of being a fitness entrepreneur and a dad, family man, all together? So I will, I will say that currently I do not have a good balance. I am <laughs> way the hell out of balance. Uh, but I'm of the, also of the opinion that you can't come into balance unless you've been out of balance. So, for instance... The people that make money selling you the thing that says, my life is so much better now that I've found balance after I made my millions. I'm like, you aren't in balance when you made your millions, you son of a bitch. Like you're forgetting that part. You actually had to work hard in order to get into a position where then you could come back into balance. And so this whole idea that you should maintain a perfect balance of life, work, relationship, etc., 
and then also be expecting to rise to the top doesn't make sense to me. Now, I'm not saying that anyone should embrace the hustle grind mindset. I know that I personally, if if the opportunity, if, if all of a sudden we had another recession, which very likely could happen, and all these fitness opportunities mirrored what happened in 2008 and 2009 across the country, uh, hey, all that shit might fall apart for not just me, but like most fitness professionals. I know that's scary and it sucks to think about, but that's reality. And at that point, I also I know that I'd be totally comfortable going back to Trader Joe's, having a non-stressful job that's easy as hell to where I have a schedule. I'm going to come home. I get to spend five or six hours a day playing with the kid, seeing the wife, and be financially secure. That sounds great. Um, but what the reason I'm hustling and grinding right now is I see an opportunity to take this swing that will set me up for better success in the future. So really, it's it's all about timing. Uh, so for me, how do I keep myself in balance? I don't. I'm, okay. I'm way the hell out of balance. I have 24 weekends this year that I'm teaching certifications. That says nothing about the remaining 28 that I will probably have to spend some of them in a studio. Uh, yes, I spent two hours a day in the car. I use that time to schedule phone calls and listen to audiobooks and listen to podcasts. So I, uh, I will try to reframe it in my head as a learning opportunity, not something that is destroying my body and soul. And to add into that, you actually would have four weeks shorter than that. It's not double. So you, you're losing four weeks. Yeah. Because he was like the other the other half. Because that would add up to 56. Like, you fucking... There's a month gone there. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, See, that's how busy pretty... That's how busy he is. Doesn't even know how many weeks in a year. <laughs> the worst. I like... I'm coming up on uh, a five-week-in-a-row certification series where it's... Uh, this week, I'm doing an in-house thing at Fitwall. The next week, I teach uh, Animal Flow. The week after that, I teach Kettlebells. The week after that... I'm teaching uh, the pain-free performance certification alongside Mr. John Russon. I add, and uh, that that will be that's a doozy right there. And then I got something else after that. I can't remember what it is. John's a pretty cool guy. Uh, I met him when uh, <clears throat> I met you because he was presenting at uh, Vigor Ground, and he was really cool. I liked him a lot. Um, he, he's sort of on our list of people we'll have to get a hold of to maybe appear on the the podcast. So he'd be really cool. Um, I. Want the, the reason why I actually want to bring you on here is actually the post that we'll ask about now. Uh, you made a post about 2019 predictions, so you had a little bit of fun with this. You don't seem to think too highly of wearable tech <laughs> as being particularly useful. So I wanted to poke at that a bit. Uh, but there's a few other things you mentioned, including uh, too much noise from online trainers to, to sort out which ones are actually good. So that way referrals are pretty much the only way to actually find someone good. Uh, and then uh, let's see what else was there. Keto is going to rename itself at some point was one of the things you said. So I'll just fire that up. And uh, what what are some of the 2019 predictions that you kind of have? So 2019, I think. Uh, so the first one with the, the tech stuff, that was a, a very industry specific like group fitness. So you go to Earth, you go to Idea, you go to any of these trade shows, Polar, uh, MyZone, and those are the two major players, but there are more and more companies coming in that are doing the exact same shit, which is let me throw your heart rate number up on a wall while you work out. And I, I understand like what the, the idea is, but they're doing 
circuit training and lifting weights, and it doesn't actually tell you a whole hell of a lot of useful information. It's like, hey, we did a boot camp class where you lifted weights and kettlebells, and your average heart rate was X. That shit doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. And so, like, it's noise. It's just extra noise that confuses the the education process for your clients. And from what I've what I've seen in talking to a bunch of different gyms, because here's here's why I a big piece of why I think that we built our own heart rate monitoring system in 2013, and we ran it for four and a half years at Fitwall, and then I scrapped it. And we built it to be actually useful. Where what we did is we said, hey, we're going to measure. The, your ability to recover your heart rate after a hard effort in a minute. So what's the delta? Can you drop your heart rate by 10 beats, 20 beats, whatever? And that's useful. That's actually a useful metric uh, versus here's an imaginary calorie number that you burned. And now you can go eat muffins because you think you earned 600 calories. And it's a hyperinflated <laughs> bullshit number anyway. So um, I scrapped it all because it was not, it was not improving my clients' results. And I was like, well, if it's not going to improve results, what the hell are we doing? So I got rid of it. And I watch other people and I talk to other people. And they, after it's got like a two month shelf life in boutique studios where people will wear the heart rate gizmo. And then they realize that it's not giving them anything extra. They're not going to be able to burn more calories. They're not going to be able to do more or whatever. It gets discouraging. And then they give up on it. That's oh, the other reason I, I know a little bit about this is I, I gave two talks at the Idea Personal Trainer Institute about how to use. Uh, wearable technology to improve client results. So I, I, you know, tried to figure out how to do that. The average shelf life of like from Best Buy, uh, I almost said Circuit City, but that that that's like two thousand. Uh, Amazon, <laughs> any any of these items that people buy, they they last six to eight weeks of people tinkering with them, trying to use them, and then they go in a cupboard and it just accumulates dust and people forget about them. So. I don't know if they're going to disappear, but they're going to just remain pretty useless by and large. There are some really awesome ones like Morpheus and uh, some of the HRV stuff I think is very interesting. I played around with it for a year of my, my own. How to use them with clients and making your clients be consistent with them and actually using it to, to get them to do things. I think certain trainers do that extraordinarily well, and at that point it can be very useful. But I think that most people are just going to try to do this shiny gimmicky thing and think that it's going to make a difference. And unless you know what the fuck you're doing, it ain't going to do you much good. I think there's a certain mentality behind going out and buying things like uh, Fitbits or Garmin's or whatever. And I think there are hardcore people who use them. But I think it's an investment, a token investment to say, hey, here I am. Here's my gesture to actually help get myself in shape. We've all had that client who's come in, bought the big package, and then... That was the big thing. And then they, they don't really realize what they're saying. You actually have to do the sessions. You actually have to do the work. You have to change your lifestyle. And they're horrified. This sort of, it's the mentality of, I'll do anything to lose the weight. You know, I'll pay any amount of money except actually be active or eat, not eat like a complete asshole. So we know that that mentality exists. And I've always felt like wearable tech often draws in. It's not exclusive to, but it draws in that kind of person who thinks, Oh, this is what I have to do now. Now that I have this gadget, everything else is going to take care of itself. And no, it doesn't work that way. They're great for, uh, they can be, excuse me, they can be very good for getting information, but then you have to take that information and take action on that information. It's exactly like you're saying. I've, I've got a, a big stack of books at home that I've bought that I don't know what they say inside. I don't get credit for just buying them. I have to actually <laughs> read them. 
I'm like, when the hell am I going to do that? You never um, will. Brian Crawford. Brian, Brian Crawford was talking about that. He's got all these books that he keeps buying and he doesn't read. You should see him like Kindle. Like, it's like, fuck. I'm like, I'm rubbing him on my forehead. I'm hoping <laughs> that I get the information that way. It just doesn't really work. And that, that's how I feel that people use wearables. It's like, I think the one that I'm, I'm most excited for, I haven't seen it built, is I have two models I want to develop. I want one that if you're if you're sedentary for too damn long, it zaps you. I think that one actually might exist. So it's, an, it's a, uh, you hold still for too long, yeah. it, it electrocutes you a little bit, like a dog collar. I think that would be a good one. Uh, maybe if they could measure effort in a gym, if you're sandbagging, it zaps you. That would be a fun thing to develop. Uh, the other one is a dietary one where it, it sees somehow you put a picture of what you're eating and then it just shames you into eating better. <laughs> so I want, I want like to have a shame app for food where you take a picture and it's like French fries again, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and you can pick like aggressively shame or, uh, like kind of, uh, on the, on the subtle side, that's uh, passive aggressive shame. You get to pick. I think that'd be a good app. I think, it, I think it would work. Like you would definitely take some flack for it, but I think it would help some people. Like they, they <laughs> like they, they're actively signing on to it. It's not like you're forcing it on them. Like you need to shame yourself. You're like, hey, if you want something that could help, like you we, should shame yourself. We talked right? about this recently with Chris Sugar, which is definitely the least politically correct episode we've ever done because Chris is not politically correct at all. And my thoughts are this: like what you just said, I, I would never silence people who have a certain message. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the idea of quote shame in its in its purest form. You're saying in a very joking sense, but like that fat shamers, fitness professionals who have fat shaming messages, like fat shaming, I actually do think is is a nasty thing. But I also believe in free speech, and there are going to be certain people who will be drawn to it. So I'm sort of torn in this one, but I think okay, if there's I, a type I, of person who wants to seek that out and experience that, great. And I don't necessarily believe in like. He's gonna be rich, man. Any of those people be, tell him that they ha- like banning them. I don't believe in banning. Them I think stuff. I think he'd be rich. I think that idea is fantastic. So. Like, actually, make it like a, a companion app for my fitness pal and get <clears throat> Under Armour to buy it. So, like, if that, you that, track that, the fucking food, it'll <laughs> it'll come up and be like, shame you. Yeah, I I guess I probably should put it. This is part of like, so this is a follow up to the "Don't be an asshole." I should put a disclaimer. I am mostly joking about this, and it yeah, goes with is. my. Uh, other gym franchise I'm going to open soon. It's called Shame Fit. And it's very much like Dick's Last Resort, the restaurant, where you just come in and I'm just yelling at you like the whole time. It would it would catch on for a while and then, I don't know. There, it would there, was, actually, there was actually gyms like this. I cannot remember what, what the name is. I wish I could because the, the YouTube ads uh, and the radio ads that they no. would run were astonishing. It was like, <laughs> I mean, I... Hey, fatty, do you want to not be a fatty McFatterson this summer? What? Come in and work your fat off at the gym. And it, it, it was just us. I was like, how is this really a thing in 2016 or whatever year it was? Uh, yeah. So have, someone tried have, it. Have you, heard, have you heard of the snake diet guy? <laughs> he does that. I have. He's local here. Oh. Yeah, and I've met him. He's a million and people on his fucking, is it a million or a hundred thousand? Hundred thousand. Hundreds of thousands. Regardless. Yeah. Like, so it's just. Yeah. No, I was going to say, if you hadn't seen him, go Google it, and then you just your eyeballs are going to fall out listening to this shit. Uh, let's, you mentioned books, so if you're mostly collecting them <laughs> and rubbing them on your head, maybe this question isn't going to go very far. 
But, uh, you know, we know Mark Fisher and Luca Hosevar, and those two motherfuckers are fantastic at devouring books. I swear Luca just posts shit that he, he couldn't possibly read all of the physical books that he posts. Because it just, it doesn't make sense that he could do all of his other things. I don't think he sleeps. Uh, it's all bang energy drinks that he likes. So, uh, do you find the time to read? You mentioned audiobooks in the car. Uh, and is there anything noteworthy that you would encourage others to explore? Um, let's see. I'm a big fan of the, and I actually got this recommendation from Mark, uh, the influence and persuasion books by yes. Robert Duffini. Uh, you know, I've got, I was looking over here. I had some in this office that I make my staff read habits manifesto by Gretchen Rubin, all, all of Gretchen's books, I think. Um, for a fitness professional, they should read those because it really speaks to why people do things and might give you some insight on how to help people figure out how to make changes. Um, so those, uh, honestly, outside of that, I have I have not done a whole hell of a lot of exciting, groundbreaking reading of late. Um, it's I mean, I'd have to pull up. This is this is how little I remember what it is. Um, couple of leadership options, uh, the, the Navy SEAL. So what was his name? Is that the recent guy? Fuck. You're talking about Jocko Willick? No. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Jocko, yeah. Jocko's book, uh, Extreme Ownership, is one of the best I've ever read. I think everyone in our industry should read it. Yeah, so Extreme Ownership. And then he had a follow-up to that. The Dichotomy of Leadership, which I haven't read yet. Yes, so those, those two I <laughs> took down um, recently. Those were really great. And the other thing that, I mean, just from a – entertainment that from an audio book standpoint he reads it with such intensity that it's really like one of the better enjoyable audio books because like if you are thinking about a navy seal maybe having had a few bang energy drinks and then like throwing strobe lights on and reading it that's kind of what it's like so it's <laughs> really awesome. intense I, I, I want to throw one out, too, because I'm in the process of nearly finished it, and I don't usually just, like, throw things out on the podcast as I'm reading it, but this one's this goddamn good. It's a book called Mind Gym by uh, Gary Mack and uh, David Cass Stevens. I'm not sure if I pronounced that right. It's a really good sports psychology book so for athletes, but I actually think it applies to any sort of performance, especially for fitness professionals. It's not very long, so I think everyone should actually explore that one, too. It's really worthwhile. Sweet. So, um, so you recommended a book you didn't finish. He puts books in his head through the thing. Do I, I don't have a book. Maybe I had a book. Don't ask me. Well, he's selling, he's moving. So he's selling process of selling the house and all this sort of other crazy shit and building. I'm like Clifton. I have, I, I'm reading a lot of books. I have like 10 half read books. It's great. <laughs> Here's a tip. Go to, go to Amazon and go on Kindle. You can get like, like basically the cliff notes for most of these books and you'll be astonished at how similar a lot of them are, you know? Oh, he's, he's off his audio. Uh Oh, he muted himself. You muted yourself. He's got this. Uh Oh, there we go. I'm back. There we go. Okay, cool. What were you trying to say for the last two minutes? No, I only was going to say one thing. Cause I, I, I agree. I, I was going to ask if you guys happen to have uh, ever signed up for one of those services that sends you, like a one-page synopsis with the pertinent takeaways 
from these books. I cannot recall what the name of it is There's right now. There's a few now. of them out now. Uh, fucking Mentor and Box it, is one of them. And like the authors read it to yeah. you too, right? I, I've never, and I don't know, I just have this idea. That I, I'm able to blast through audiobooks fairly quickly anyway, so I'd rather just absorb the book um, and get the entirety of it. I think it's not a bad idea if someone is truly limited on time to do it. It's better than nothing. But I mean, when it comes to the really good literature that's out there, Books like Essentialism by Greg McKeon or The Obstacle is the Way, the uh, Start Start with Why, uh, what the fuck, Simon Sinek, or any of these sort of things. I think you just read those books. They're really good. Uh, Influence Cialdini. That is the sales Bible. It is definitely the most important book you will ever read when it comes to sales. So, oh, so here, I, did, I, I made a note and I just forgot their names. So one of the things, uh, we recently just started getting only one wake up a night with our kid. Uh, he was not a good sleeper, but it makes you absolutely brain dead. It's really embarrassing because you'll be teaching. You're like, this works your arm in the morning when you teach a class. <laughs> um, so any, I like all, pretty much all the books by Chip Heath and Dan Heath. Fuck yeah. They have it, like decisive. Um, what else do they got big going leap. on? They, or moments. They've got a couple. The switch made to stick and the power of moments. Yeah, They're essential cool. reading for our industry. So all of those I, I was a big fan of. Um, anyway, that, that was going to be my contribution. Chip and Dan Heath. Beautiful. Yeah, no, guys, run with those. I've read all four of those. They're, they're super. Lots of books. Cool. Not, I'm not going to poke fun at the one book you don't like. Okay, Clifton, where do people find more about you, either online or how do they get a hold of you? Um, well, Instagram or Facebook. If you search Clifton Harsky, <laughs> you'll see me. There'll be some sort of stupid picture. Uh, I can't guarantee what it what it will be, but it will be silly. And then, you know, I'm hoping that or our plan is to add four to five more studios each year for the next four years, and then become a, a true sellout. And I am hoping that I develop what I call founderitis, where I start becoming at that point I've made it and I can be a complete asshole because I won't have to follow my rules at that point. Stupid picture. It got me thinking. So we always have to sneak him in here. And of course, if you want to see a really stupid picture, Google Dean Somerset and a Ductor machine. <clears throat> just just Google it. Okay. If anyone hasn't seen this, just Google it. And it should be one of the first images that comes up. And uh, and that's what I'll leave you off with. Is that that's what Clifton needs to do? Everybody needs to do that. If you haven't seen this picture, you just simply need to do it. Literally, this is how you know Clifton's going to be successful. In like, let's just say like, let's just say that's five years, five suits, whatever. He's going to be on like fucking facebook just like throwing the heat at everyone not giving them the recommendation just like that's fucking stupid and just peace out like if once you start being an asshole you're good like i'll be i'll send you a message like good job man you made it I'll, I'll yeah see that's what i'm hoping for I wanna, rise, him, man. I wanna see him sitting on oprah's couch talking about that wall yeah and at that point when i'm there it's gonna be so good because i'm gonna use so many bad fitness terms that are mis <laughs> misconstrued and i won't even care Cool. Okay, fuck it. This was good. Thank you, brother. Stick around. We'll chat after. Shut up and sit down.